Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. The other kind of allure of a self-directed IRA, and especially I think, well, even in real estate in general, is it's a hard asset, right? So you're, you're invested in something you can see that you can touch, um, whether, again, whether it's syndications or even, you know, that's why some people like single family rental properties. I can look at it and I can see it. I can put a tenant in it and get rent, you know, each month back in it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Farming for Passive Income. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, to, today, we are guested by Scott Maurer. He is the Vice President of Sales for Advanta IRA. IRA is short for Individual Retirement Account, and he is that is a nationwide self-directed IRA administrator. Um, Scott has worked for Advanta since 2006, helping thousands of people invest in alternative assets mainly commercial real estate, using their IRAs and old 401ks. Um, super excited about this conversation, Scott. So welcome to the show. Hey, Casey, thanks for having me on today. Happy to always talk about what, what we do and how people you know can utilize money that they didn't know that they had to uh, invest in assets they didn't know they could invest in. There you go. That's a great opener. Let's dive into it. What is a self-directed IRA? You know, we when I got into the professional world, I just heard, all right, stick your money in 401ks, stick your money in a standard retirement account um, with very vague benefits. And it was almost like I was picking and choosing from a menu without understanding any of the logic behind it. So maybe we just dive into what is a self-directed IRA? Yeah, sure. So a self-directed IRA, it's it's important, I think, for people to understand. A lot of people are familiar with IRAs, you know, traditionals, Roth IRAs, maybe an old 401ks, the self-directed moniker is referring really to your ability to invest in assets outside of the stock market. So a lot of people associate an IRA account or a 401k with investing in mutual funds or stocks. Like you just mentioned, you have a job and you you put money away each month into that that plan uh, and you invest and you maybe have a limited menu to pick from. But a self-directed account is one in which you can choose what type of asset class you want to invest in. So it's not a matter of choosing amongst different mutual funds or amongst differently different publicly traded stocks. It's the ability to invest outside of those norms and invest into, you know, real estate assets, precious metals, uh, private placements. There's a lot of different things you can do with your, your with your retirement accounts. There's a lot of different places you can invest. And that's what a self-directed account is going to allow you to do. You pick and choose what investment you want to hold, uh, not what you're kind of being pigeonholed into you know, by a brokerage firm who's going to offer you really just those products that they sell. Uh, so there's a lot more that is possible. I'm sure we're going to get into to the rules. Uh, there are plenty of things that you can do. There's only a couple of things that you can't do uh, and some restrictions that we'll talk about in a little bit. But that's really what the genesis of a self-directed IRA is you making the decisions on how best to invest your retirement funds. Mm-hmm. I, I love this tool because it really provides a lot more freedom and What's happening right now is these brokerage firms have so much money, at least from my perspective, they have a, so much money for their advertising budget that they just push it so hard that you have this a la carte menu and you have to pick from one of these things. But this tool allows you to invest outside of those options. And actually, I think it's 
provides more freedom to the average investor. Well, absolutely. So the you know most people, I guess to say a lot of four a lot of IRAs uh, start with four hundred one k plans. So somebody has a four hundred one k through their employer, and there are benefits to the employer to having restricted investment options because that way they can keep their plan, you know, with a Fidelity or with a Charles Schwab, or where they're going to going to you know kind of force you to buy their products. So most people don't really look for alternatives because within a four hundred one k. A lot of times you don't have those options. It's when that money moves out to an IRA that you find out that there's a lot more uh, that you can do if you're willing to look for it. But those companies also are not going to advertise to you what what else you could do. You know, if you have an IRA with Fidelity, or you have an IRA with Schwab, Mass Mutual, you name it, they are not going to tell you that you could invest in in real estate or you could invest in you know real estate syndications or raw land things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So most people just don't know that they even have that option. And when they're presented with an, and usually how someone comes to find out about, you know, what we do or, or our company specifically is because they are looking into one of those types of investments uh, that they'd like to make. And they have that FOMO. They really don't want to miss out on the investment, but they don't have the money in their checking account or their savings account. Uh, and they did, cause it, and then when they're told that, Hey, I could use my IRA, I could use an old 401k account. They then kind of tap into that money and be able to, to not miss out on the particular investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like this a lot because, like I said earlier, it gives you a lot of freedom. People aren't going to tell you if they're not going to get compensated for it on the on the front end. Um, and I'd like to dive into that maybe a, a little later how how you guys are compensated and how you know your let's call them competitors are, are compensated as well. Um, but it's really like a really powerful tool and kind of secret. Um, there's not a lot of people who do it. And then I think there's also this misconception or something that is pushed by them that they say that you aren't, or there's, there's this general mentality that people aren't sophisticated enough to manage their own investment accounts. And I hate that um, idea, basically, that they push. Like, you need a CFP, a certified financial planner, to put your money to work in the right investments for you. Well, those CFPs are getting compensated for products, either one-offs or various other ways. Um, but it basically, I think everyone has the ability to educate themselves and become knowledgeable about how to invest and use their retirement funds in a really a great way to get into the into the real estate market using these funds. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So most people... Um, I think just in general, more, more people would understand real estate as an entrance, as an investment, you know, either whether you're buying and holding for long-term rent, whether you're following the leads of, of people on TV and flipping property. And, you know, most CFPs, uh, financial advisors, not only do they maybe have a financial interest in, in keeping your funds where they're at and not allowing you to kind of tap into that, but also that's, you know, investing in real estate and alternatives is not their world. They, they went into a profession to advise people on on how to invest in the stock market and mutual funds and and plan for retirement which which in their world is using those publicly traded assets. So not only when you when you go to someone like that and say I'd like to invest in real estate or or, or some other asset they can't hold, they're already naturally skeptical because it's not their world, right? That's it's not something they're familiar with. Um but as you said, there's certainly many of our clients are sophisticated enough to this to decide, I think two things. One, you know, what type of investment they wish to make. You know, they already invest in real estate personally. Why don't I invest some of my IRA funds in it? 
or second, just they're sophisticated enough to know that um, you know maybe staying in the stock market long term is not a good solution for them, right? So they're they're looking for something else to do. Uh, and really, I've always thought the beauty of self direction is is it's not an all or nothing strategy. Using some of your funds to invest in real estate, private loans, et cetera, the different types of investments we hold, you can invest as much or as little of your 401ks and your IRA accounts that you want. So it's not, we're not pushing a, hey, dump the stock market completely and invest just in real estate. Um, we're saying you have the ability to use and have the freedom, like you said, to, to use what you want to make the specific investment. And a lot of our clients maintain an IRA with us and an IRA with a brokerage firm and they can move and you can transfer money back and forth between accounts. That's hundred uh, percent permissible. Um, and so it really allows you to get that true diversification. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know you could do that. So are mm -hmm. there any one-time fees? Like say you have 50% of your portfolio in real estate and you don't like where it's going and you want to pull it out. Is that possible and put it into, into a, another asset class yeah i mean it's it's just the same as you have you have someone has a brokerage account right now 100 say hundred thousand dollars all invested in stocks and mutual funds and they want to use fifty thousand of that to invest in, a, in an apartment syndication they would sell the mutual funds or they would sell the stocks to raise that fifty thousand dollars cash and put it into the syndication uh let's say they get into that investment they're there for you know three to five years they that that investment pays off and sells and say, you know what, that really wasn't for me. Uh, I'd rather move that money back and, and into the stock market. You have that flexibility and freedom to do it. The only mm -hmm. difference is that with the alternative assets is obviously they're not as liquid. It's not, you know, you can't just click a button and sell uh, a rental property or, or certain investments. You might have some other smaller restrictions there. Um, Correct. Yeah, other than that, the principles are exactly the same for, for what you're doing. Yeah. How many people actually choose when they do make this move out of 401k, the ex perfect example you just said, a lot of the syndicators I know have 50,000 minimums. So they pull out 50 from their standard 401k, invest it into a self-directed IRA going through Advanta, your company. And then they, do they oftentimes say, this isn't for me, I'm going to go back to the stock market or do they stay? I would say far more of them actually probably, you know, they, they may bring the initial $50,000 over for their first investment, you know, end up seeing that that goes really well and end up bringing more money over for future investments. And that's kind of typically what, what we see. Uh, but absolutely, there are certain individuals who have made an investment, the investment pans out, does well, and they don't have anything else on the horizon and uh, they just move their money back at that time. But I, I would say far more individuals tell us that, you know, they wish they'd found out about this sooner. Um, because they would like, they would have obviously made the move years before and, and been able to get, you know, hopefully better returns during that time. But yeah, a lot more mm -hmm. people look for to make additional investments, um, whether that's, you know, waiting for one to sell and then buy another one or just continue to add to their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening very well. I feel like once you kind of get hooked on how these syndications work and you find a right operating partner and you really see what they can do for your money, it's going to be hard to go back. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That's it's, Hey, I didn't know this was possible. And now that I know that it's possible now that I'm doing it and it's, you know, not the, uh, as bad or as scary as some people might make it out to be. I think that's again, a, uh, a misconception that comes from, you know, financial advisors and people who don't understand it. Well, Hey, you gotta be really careful. There's a lot of rules. You're going to get in trouble. 
et cetera. And then they, yeah. once they started actually navigating and going, Hey, this really wasn't that difficult or that, that hard at all. And, you know, we're there to help people along, along, along the way also. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, thank you for that, Scott. I, I'd love to dive into the, some of the mechanics of it. Um, because when you invest in say real estate syndication using your self-directed IRA, um, can you pull the cash flow out of that immediately to pay for like your mortgage, or do you guys hold have to hold that account into that into that so the same stipulations apply where it's still tax free? You have to use the money until you're what is it fifty nine and a half, or maybe that's changed. Or can you walk us through some of those logistics? Yeah, so that, that's a great illustration. I think of one of the first points I made that, you know, at their core, the accounts that we hold are still traditional and Roth IRAs, and they are subject to the same, you know, contribution and distribution rules as, as any other account. The difference is going to be simply, you know, what you're investing in. So if you did invest into a syndication, you know, it, it's important to remember that your IRA account is its own legal entity. It's, it's separate from you. So your IRA and you are separate parties. And when your IRA makes the investment, the IRA then has to receive the income. So the you know the monthly or quarterly dividends and cash flow comes back to the IRA account. Uh, and then from there, you can take a distribution, you can leave it sit, and you're going to be subject to the same rules uh, that regular IRAs are. And then, yeah, right now, that, that age is still 59 and a half, at which point you can touch the funds uh, without incurring any kind of penalty. And depending on the type of IRA you have, uh, that distribution may be included in your income tax. Uh, but yeah, but the rules for, for distributions and contributions are the same. The difference really with a self-directed account is what kind of tool, what kind of investment am I using to drive better returns into my account? Okay. And how, how, yeah. how can I increase my cash flow each month back into my account? Yeah, that's a good clarification. And are there any rules, like I've, I feel like I've heard like this 4% rule or something where where are there limits? Like if you are at 59 and a half and you decide to draw on this self-directed IRA account, is there a percentage of the value of in that account that you can pull from? So once you hit 59 and a half, uh, again, the, the, there's a 10% penalty that applies for distributions prior to that age. After 59 and a half, there is no 10% penalty. You could withdraw the entire amount if you wish. Where that number, I think, comes in, Casey, you were thinking about is when you do hit age, it's currently 73 and it's it's scheduled to age 73, it's scheduled to continue indexing to age 75 over the next couple of years. When you hit that age, you are required to distribute money out of an IRA account. So if, you're, if I'm age 75 and I have an IRA account, I'm required to take an annual uh, minimum distribution each year. And that, that minimum distribution is usually around 35 to 4% of my total IRA value. So if I have a $100,000 account and I'm age 75, I'm probably going to have to withdraw around 4000 of that uh, each year going forward. So, But, but there is, you know, at age 59 and a half, you could take the whole thing. Uh, it's just at age 73. Now, currently at 73, you have to start taking a minimum amount out and paying tax, you know, paying tax on that money if, if it is a taxable IRA account. Okay. That's interesting that they force you to do that. Can you pass these accounts on to your, your children? If you don't use all of the money, can you write that into your will? I'm just interested because you can't, like, what if you don't want to pull that money out? You just want to sit and keep it growing. You don't need a, any more money. You're happy where you're at. And mm-hmm. you just want to pass it down to your kids. Is that so, possible? Yeah, so, yes and no. So with regular IRA accounts, you know, traditional IRAs or 401k accounts, those are tax 
deferred entities. So when you made contributions way back when you started the account, you got a tax break in exchange for the fact that you're going to pay taxes when you pull that money out. So that's why at age 73, the IRS requires that you distribute some of that money because that money to them hasn't been taxed the entire time you've had the account. Um, but again, you're only required to take that 3 to 4%. Um, and certainly when you set up an account with us, you name your beneficiaries, whether it's a spouse, your children, grandchildren, whomever you wish to name. And those individuals will inherit your account. And then they can continue growing the account and distribute it over a 10-year period uh, following your passing. So they, your, your heirs can enjoy the account tax deferred for 10 years before they have to start withdrawing or before they have to fully withdraw from the account. So the balance has to be zero 10 years after you pass. That's correct. Essentially. Correct. Yeah, that, that, was okay. a, that was a law changed by three, two or three years ago. Um, they wanted, because people are doing something called a stretch IRA. And if you actually inherited an IRA prior to that time, uh, when the law changed in 2021, you could still do that. And stretch IRAs where people, you know, if you left the, your IRA to your children, they could take distributions over the course of their lifetime. So even if they were inherited at age 30, they could continue taking distributions out until they passed away. And so it allowed people to really stretch out the value of an IRA uh, over several decades. And that's the, the law change in 2021 was meant to address that. So um, if you inherit an IRA and you're, you're not a spouse, you have to withdraw it all within 10 years. Uh, if you do inherit an IRA from a spouse, uh, you can treat it as your own account and then subject to the, to the regular rules. Okay, that's good clarification. Thank you for that, Scott. Sure. And and back, so government wants their money, so they're going to force you to pay yes. that percentage um, when you hit 73, I think the number was. So mm -hmm. there's also what's called a Roth IRA. How do you guys play? Can you use Roth IRAs? And can you a, define what a Roth IRA for the audience and then you know dive into how you and your team manage Roth IRAs if you do at all? Sure, yeah. So to, to take the first part, any any type of IRA can be self-directed, whether it's a traditional IRA, whether it's a SEP, an SCP if you're self-employed, or in this case, the Roth IRA, which is a uh, very similar to a traditional IRA in some respects, but also very different. Um, as I mentioned just a moment ago, when you contribute money to a traditional IRA account, you get a tax deduction. So if you put in you know, $5,000 this year, you get a write-off of $5,000 on your tax return. That money is going to grow tax deferred. But as we just talked about, when you hit age 73 or 75, you have to start withdrawing the money at that time and paying taxes. The Roth IRA came into being in the, in the late 90s and is the reverse of that, the, that tax situation. So when you put money into a Roth IRA, you do not get a tax deduction up front. Um, so money goes in post-tax, but then you get all of your gains and your earnings completely tax-free. So the IRS is it's basically, it's, it's a bad trade-off for the government, good trade-off for us, right? They're, they're, accept, they're allowing you to get, put this money in after tax. They get their tax money now, but then you get the benefit of the huge tax-free growth over the course of your lifetime. So when you hit age 65, 70, you know, once you're over 59 and a half, everything in that account is completely tax-free to you. And piggybacking on what we just said, if you leave that, that money to your kids, they take it out tax-free over that 10-year period of time, too. So that, that's the beauty. Yeah, if, you, if you can have a Roth IRA or get money into a Roth IRA, it is always a good decision because the earnings you're going to get um, are going to be tax-free. So whatever that account grows to, that's all tax-free growth. I love this concept. I wish more people utilized the Roth IRA 
because essentially what you're doing is you're giving them you're giving the government the ability to grow their their assets tax free basically i mean you're you're giving them a portion of your returns and if you understand how exponential growth works you know we've all seen the graph where it starts at zero in the bottom left and then it's kind of like a hockey stick to the top right of the graph well that is exponential growth and so when you invest in a Roth IRA and pay the taxes up front you can expedite that exponential growth curve because you're not having to pay the government at the latter half um, of the of the business plan so um, I love that you touch on that and yeah, it's just a really cool tool. Yeah, it's it's probably I mean uh, out of the accounts we have, it's definitely everybody's favorite. It's a you know a, you know the CPA, the financial advisors, they all love it. We love it too, just because of that nature. That whatever I put in this money, you know, whatever is in there now, and I've already paid the tax on it. The, all this future growth, if I'm putting money into you know high yield real estate investments, or I'm just having you know I'm, I'm finding you know winners on on my investments, that all of that money coming back in is tax free. So your monthly your quarterly dividends from your syndication investment, that's tax-free. And and for people who are over 59 and a half, we do have people who, um, you know, that, that check comes in first to the to the Roth account, and then they simply take it back out as a, as a distribution to live off of. Mm-hmm. I like that because it's, you, you can really use that account as a way to pay your bills, pay, pay for food. Because if you invest it correctly in real estate, you can get inflationary adjusted results where the income or the result you're producing is also adjusted to inflation. So inflation goes 5%, your investment goes up 5% plus whatever return the operator is expected to gain for you. So you're always kind of at apples and apples. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. The Roth, yeah, the Roth is, is fantastic. I mean, and now, you know, there's People who are self-employed, there are Roth 401ks that you can contribute to and, and put more money away each year out of your own pocket into to those accounts. And we, and we certainly offer all of those in advance. We don't always give necessarily advice which way you should go or shouldn't go, but we can can run through some of that those scenarios with you if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Is there different limitations on how much you can invest per year in each each type of um, IRA account? So yeah, there is there's the 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 limitations and the differences between say the traditionals and the Roths and like the SEPs and the 401k uh, is largely how much you can contribute out of your own pocket each year. Um, so with traditional and Roth, I think for this year it's uh, sixty five hundred dollars a year or seventy five hundred if you're over fifty. So that's the most you can contribute um, into the account with a SEP IRA. If you're self employed, that number goes from seventy five hundred or sixty five hundred to sixty six thousand that you can put in. To a SEP IRA. So people who are self-employed, you own your own business. You could be a real estate agent, could just be a you know self-practicing attorney, a CPA, whomever. Uh, those accounts allow for much larger contributions uh, on a given year. Now, once that money is in the account, there is no limitation on what you can use to invest, and there is no limitation on what you can earn. So if you have a Roth IRA and you can only put sixty-five hundred dollars in it, that's the limitation is on money coming out of your own pocket into that account. There is no limitation on what your Roth can earn in a given year. So if you're getting, you know, you have a $100,000 investment, it's spitting off, you know, 12,000 a year in income, there's no limitation on that at all. That does not count against that that $6,500 figure. That's something I think people misconstrue at times on as far as what exactly 
Um, you know, how does that work if I'm getting 10% return, but that's more than I can contribute? People confuse the earnings with the contribution levels. And again, the contribution levels are the same for a brokerage IRA as they are for a self-directed IRA. Mm-hmm. I like that clarification because, yeah, there, there are two different things. There's the return and the initial capital investment. Correct. Yep. So that's And so the returns stay in the IRA and there's no limitations on the return. None at all. No, I've seen and I've seen some people do some great things with their accounts. Um, you know, putting five thousand dollar options on properties or 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 putting getting a property under contract for a couple grand and selling the contract uh, and getting a fantastic you know return percentage wise on their money that's in the account. So again, no limitation at all on, on the earnings in the account. Okay. Can you walk us through that example? So um, we've had a, actually as a client had years ago, he had was was actually borrowing money from some of our clients' uh, IRA accounts. So he was on the receiving end and using it for his real estate. Uh, and he called me to get mm. some more information about how you can use IRA accounts. And he started a Roth. He put, I think, two or three grand into the account as his annual contribution. Uh, he went, he found a property uh, and put it under contract in the name of his Roth IRA. Uh, he had us issue the $2,000 escrow deposit. And then within the next 30 days, he was able to go find another buyer uh, for that real estate who was willing to pay, I think, 10 or 15 grand more than what he had it under contract for. So he assigned his, the, his Roth IRA assigned its interest in the contract for like a 10 or $15,000 assignment fee. So he took two grand, made the deposit, and then had somebody basically wiring him 10 or 15 grand more back into the account to release the contract to them as an assignment. So uh, <laughs> that's a fun in, strategy. Yeah, dollar amounts, not, not necessarily as high as people can make in a given year on other things, but as far as a percentage and get himself started. And that mm-hmm. was somebody who didn't, who didn't have an IRA account at all. And he was able to get it started and get it, you know, do that deal a couple times and get enough money in his account where he could take part of, of syndications and other types of, of different real estate investments. So he was just flipping it, using part of his IRA to hold get the deed, and then essentially flipping it to someone else, right? And getting yeah, and actually, that actually, And he didn't even get the deed. He just had it under contract and had the contract locked up. Gotcha. And, okay. and was able to, and made sure that the contract was assignable and it was able to, uh, to flip the, he flipped the contract, not the actual house. Yeah. I think that's what they, yeah, a lot of people do that, especially with land. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And so he used that to, to level up and then maybe perhaps used it to get into these syndications where 50 grand is the, is the minimum investment a lot of times. Right. He did. Yeah. Cause he didn't have anything really, when he called, he did not, when I first spoke with him, he did not have any IRA of any type. Uh, and so we went, then that's in that situation where I did go through the different types of IRAs, you know, the traditionals and the benefits of getting a tax deduction or versus foregoing that deduction and putting the money in the Roth and, and helped him get started. I think he even got, ended up getting Roth set up for his kids. Uh, he had his kids on his payroll of his business, and so he's able to get money started for them too. And uh, you talk about the hockey stick graph. The, the quicker you get started putting money in a tax-free IRA, um, it's crazy what that money will grow to in, in the long term. The quicker you get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. I did. I'm an Excel guy, so you graph it out, and you really see like the hit that taxes take on that exponential curve. I mean. Even in the standard stock market, if you randomize the returns over time, basically stock market's luck. Like whenever you were born, is basically determines like how well you did in the stock market on right, average. Right. Yep. Um, but then yeah. the, the dips, 
like you're because you're going to say up eight percent but then down twelve percent then you're going up twenty percent like the volatility just crushes these exponential returns that a lot of people professionals in the industry are saying that they can more or less guarantee like eight percent you're gonna get eight percent on your money and on your money but what they don't say is that is a simple average over time that is not every year if you compound eight percent every year you will get the hockey stick effect and then it is exponentially you know it grows exponentially when you add in the roth advantage yeah, and I think you hit a great point there. I, I watched, I saw a seminar, it's been a number of years ago, but it was somebody using that exact figure. You know, the stock market historically averages, you know, 7 or 8% a year. But you, like you said, that's an average. I think they said the number of, you know, the stock market had been in existence at that time. I think when I, I heard the presentation, I think like 90, 95 years or something. They said the number of years that the stock market has actually averaged right around 7 or 8% was like 10 of those 95 yeah. years. So it is, it's up and down. And so I guess your point is, when do you get in and when do you get out? Um, and that's the risk, you know. So, yeah, you can talk about a historical average, but if you're on the wrong side of the start or the end, um, it can greatly affect ultimately what's in there. And that's, that's why people, to be honest, look to self-direct. Mm -hmm. If I can buy a rental property or I can invest in a syndication and I know consistently I can get that 7 or 8% per year on something that I can control and that I can understand, that's where you get the, the desired effect at the end. Yeah, exactly. Well, even if you don't earn any money, like a lot of these multifamily deals, they're value add. So they're, you won't see cash flow until, let's say, year two, and then right. they sell in year five in a standard business plan. But even during those years, in years one and two, you might not, you might see very minimal returns, but because your capital is not losing value, it's not going down 10% like in the stock market. It's basically staying where it's at. And then because you can ride that line and then hit your returns in years later, half of year two, and then year three, and then the big sale in year five, then that's where your returns are. And I think that once I like did that for myself, I started really understanding the power of real estate because your your capital is locked in the real estate and it and it's more or less safe on a risk adjusted basis. You're not going to lose thirty percent of it unless you get a hold of a bad operator who's got you in floating rate debt a couple of years ago and now right. is in a squeeze, which we're seeing right now. Um, but yeah, it, it's a it's a big advantage for sure. No, and I think that's the the other kind of allure of a self directed IRA, and especially I think well even in real estate in general is it's a hard asset. Right. So you're you're invested in something you can see that you can touch, um, whether again, whether it's syndications or even, you know, that's why some people like single family rental properties. I can look at it and I can see it. I can put a tenant in it and get rent you know, each month back in, as opposed to I could put my money with a, a stock in a company that seems like they're doing great. And then they make a you know, we've seen it lately with a couple of companies make some missteps on their PR campaigns and get hit really hard um, or even yep. just you know, other I've always mentioned the geopolitical events around the world where you think you're going fine. You got a, a mixture of good, strong companies in your stock portfolio. You think you're doing fine. And then something happens in the world, uh, you know, maybe like a, an, you know, a airborne illness that affects, you know, the entire world and shuts everybody down and your, your stock portfolio falls, you know, a, a ton. And so it's things that you can't control. And again, that's when we get back to the freedom and the control that self-direction offers you into, like I said, hard assets with the volume, with the, at the, uh, 
the value doesn't just evaporate overnight because you know of something that company did or or said or somebody you know a product that's no longer in need. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's really I think why people are so attracted to to what we do and and being able to control their financial future and to, you know in the simplest terms being able to sleep at night. Yeah. At the end of the day, you spend a thirty of your time sleeping, so I'd rather sleep good. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So- Scott, there was a point earlier that you touched on, and I want to just clarify a couple points, and that is in regards to the SEP. Can you, so it sounds like you can invest almost 10 times as much every year individually into a SEP account. I, I believe that's what you said. And then the second question would be, can, is that tax, can you pay the taxes up front on a SEP or are you paying taxes later or, how, or do you have an option? So you, you you kind of have an option. So yeah, and that's correct. The numbers are you know the with a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA at sixty five hundred dollars a year that you can contribute if you're under the age of fifty. With a SEP IRA, if you're self employed, you can contribute up to twenty five percent of your income to a maximum of sixty six thousand dollars a year. So if you have a you know two hundred fifty thousand dollar income or whatnot, you can put almost all of that in you know that full sixty six thousand dollar contribution. Now the tax treatment. In the years past, SEP IRAs were tax deferred like traditionals, where you could make the contribution, you get a large tax deduction, but the money is going to grow tax deferred and you're going to pay taxes somewhere down the line. Uh, they've changed that rule, though, to allow for you to make Roth contributions into SEPs. And it's always been allowed that you could put that, you could make your SEP contribution and then immediately it would do what's called a conversion to a Roth. And this goes for anyone who has tax-deferred IRAs like traditionals or old 401ks or SEPs, if you want to get your money growing tax-free, you can do what's called a conversion and simply elect to move some of that money into a Roth, pay the taxes now, and then have your money growing tax-free going forward. So if you're just starting out, though, and you put money into a SEP and you do an immediate conversion, it's like making a $66,000 Roth contribution. Yeah, those are, again, those are for those are for self-employed individuals, people who don't have employees. Um, again, talk to your CPA if you're if you were what if you fit that that demographic, you need to be talking to your CPA about ways you can can certainly save and, and put a lot more money into your retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. That's a huge point, and I think it. Yeah, that needs to be more widely known. I think it's a hidden gem in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. The SEP and the, by the extension, there's also solo 401ks for, for people who want some other of the flexibilities that, that 401ks have um, and also still have that larger contribution limit on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has been great. ton of value. I really appreciate your time. Is there one last thing that you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah, I think you mentioned maybe the, the fee aspect of it. Um, you know, what we charge at Advanta, you mm. might find a lot of financial advisors who, um, you know, charge percentage of assets or they, they either charge a percentage of your portfolio to manage or they charge for, you know, they're charging on commissions on buying and selling the different assets. Uh, we're not commission based and we don't charge based on percentage of assets. We charge about 150 bucks to get your account opened and get your investment made and a flat $295 a year going forward to hold your investment uh, and do all the reporting that goes along with it. Regardless if it's 50,000 or 500,000, our fee is going to be the same for that asset, the same work involved. So uh, it's a little bit something that's a little bit different than most people think, hey, this is going to be expensive or since my uh, these guys don't do it, it's got to be something specialized. Um, 
and it's it, it's not. I mean, it's it's like I said, it's an admin fee, a record keeping fee that we charge. So not only is it you know, the CFPs are going to say, oh, it's so expensive to do it. That's not <laughs> yeah. true. Um, it's also not that confusing to do. It's very simple to do, and that's what we really specialize in, in walking people through that process. I, I love that you touch on that, Scott. Yeah, when I first heard those numbers, when I heard you talking on another podcast, it kind of blew me away. Like I thought it was going to be, I don't know, five grand minimum setup cost, and then a percentage of of whatever the value of the account was. Very similar to what you see a brokerage account. You, you know, they get half point five percent of whatever your account is in fees. So I just in my head I thought that, and then you clarified that for me. And immediately thought like that's that's a huge value. It is. It is. It's not not expensive to do. It's not hard to do. Um, and there's not very much. There's not a lot of limits. The only two things you can't invest in: you can't buy life insurance and you can't buy collectibles. Are the only two investment classes. Anything else is permissible to any other asset class. You can hold inside of an IRA account. Even like livestock, alpacas, anything like that. Yes, you can. We've had a client <laughs> invest in an alpaca. We had a client buy a mausoleum crypt in their IRA account. Um, yeah, we, people invest in movie projects, you know, startup companies, a lot of different things you can do because they don't fit into that collectible or uh, life insurance category. That's pretty cool. Very yeah, flexible. Yes, yep. No, well, it's, Scott, it's been, it's been good. Yeah, it has been good. Thank you for your time today. Where can listeners get to know more about you? Uh, they can reach out to me. Uh, we certainly go to our, if you're looking for more information, our website, uh, www.advantaira.com uh, is a great resource. You link to our YouTube page and some of our recorded webinars. Uh, you can reach out to me at uh, directly at number 800-425-0653. Uh, hit extension 1123. You'll get me uh, on the phone uh, personally. And I, I like to encourage that. I don't like to send people just to the website. Everybody has their own unique questions to ask. Uh, that you're not mm. going to get an answer to on a web. You're going to get a lot of good information yeah. and get you started. But those other little individual questions, you need to talk to a person. So, so give us a call. Well, I appreciate giving you or having you give us the direct line. I, I fully agree. I say people want to get a hold of me, just reach out directly because exactly. People have very specific questions. And at the end of the day, um, this is a relationship business. This is These are very important dollars we're talking about. So this isn't a name is on transaction. So we need to talk to someone Absolutely. on the other end. Absolutely. So. I agree a hundred percent. Great, Scott. Well, thank you again. And to all the listeners, um, please rate review us and share um, a lot of good information, Scott threw out there. So hopefully you can share it with your friends and family. So Scott, thank you again. Thank you. All right. See you everyone. Bye.